Welcome to episode number eight. I'm your host, Sebastian Engstrom, and today, Donega Markegaard joins us. She is a tracker in her very core. So we're talking mountain lions, wolf, elk, really the wild animals that you see out there in the woods, if you're lucky. So you can find her, see her in the Netflix movie, Kiss the Ground, which I highly recommend. It's about regenerative farming, which is also her forte and her family. Market guard, family, grass-fed meats is her business, their farm, which is where you can find some phenomenal regenerative meats, especially here if you're in the Bay Area. She is the author of Dawn Again, which is a memoir where she goes into her story, which is incredibly fascinating. Everything from survival to the wilderness to ancient sacred practices and the indigenous people, the Native Americans. We have one intriguing conversation, and this is highly relevant to you as a high performer to connect to what truly matters, how to take care of this earth, how to take care of the animals we put into your body. What you put into your body, how you treat your body, that will lead to optimal performance. So, enjoy. As high performers, we really have the highest tempo. Probably even frustrated you with what I said right there because we don't like to take it slow. This is to create space, to get back to yourself, to feel into your heart, to connect with your soul, and give that love and forgiveness to someone else too. You're going to put one hand on your heart, on your stomach. I'm going to do a breathing exercise. Even we'll skip this. Three minutes and 30 seconds ahead. Please don't do this if you're driving. I'm going to breathe in. I'm going to say your name. So I love you. Three seconds in, three seconds out. So I forgive you. I'm going to love like one person. So one, two, three. Breathe in. I'm say your name. I love you. one person in front of you this person is gonna be having the day of their life they are thriving they are inspired they are on top of a mountain because they feel like they are one with everything everything they've ever won that is coming their way and they're helping people because they are in abundance the cup is filled 
they're giving and they're laughing they're so happy because for the first time in their life they've let go of everything that's happened they feel the joy beaming in them through them and everyone else around them is being brought up by them you see them laughing and people laughing around you and them connected we're all one what happens to you happens to me you are loved you are forgiven you are cared for and so are them and everyone else around them because we are all one we are all one Okay, Donega, we are live, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for coming on board. So what we just did, uh, it brought, brought back memories from when we were invited to your farm, and we had a beautiful dinner uh, that you hosted, and it's... Um, for anyone, let me just describe my experience. It truly feels like you're coming into the wilderness when you step on your farm. Everything is, it's very authentic. Uh, and, and that's how I can tell that when I don't feel in control, when I feel like I am part of something greater, um, and that my existence is not as significant as you can say my ego likes to think that's when I truly know wow I'm truly in the wild and even um, so your ranch being located on the coast of uh, here in northern California Pescadero um, close to San Francisco and San Jose for those who are not familiar with 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 California um, the ranch is going into the house it's it's very it feels like a home um, and you get greeted by very friendly authentic kind people and the meal was just incredible um, and Donega being an incredible chef but what, what I'm what I'm getting to is the I believe it was indigenous sayings before the meal it was gratitude of some sort do, do you mind going into what the origins is of that and the practice yeah so um our our family gathers around the meal table every evening and that's something it's it's really important for us to share food together that's um uh, raised and grown nearby and i feel like it's it's not just you're we're not just feeding um ourselves with that nutrition and that food but we're also uh feeding our spirits by sitting around and um engaging with one another and taking in that food is sort of a sacred act for us um and so we start each meal uh, with the, the seven sacred attributes that I learned from um, my adopted father, Gilbert Walking Bowl. And these attributes are, uh, they're, uh, 
basically how he would describe a whole human being living on this earth, uh, connected to their selves, connected to their, the sacred silence and the spirit, and uh, fully living their purpose. So uh, my daughter Quill is usually the one to uh, recite those. And uh, it's just brings us all together and uh, giving thanks for the meal and for just just life. It's, it's incredibly connecting. Um, do you mind sharing those? Are they top of mind that you can recite? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they're actually just right in this book here as well. So um, just so I don't get uh, turned around, I can. Uh, here we go. I turned right to the page. <laughs> okay, so uh, the first one is Wawahwaka. And that is a sacred silence or inner inner tranquility. Um, so, and that's the first one because we always want to be coming from a place of that peacefulness inside before we do anything, really, before we speak to one another, before we go about our day or our work, is start with that inner quietness. Uh, the second one is... Uh, and that one is uh, chante is heart and knake is those who you place in your heart. So wochanto knake is those, um, and this is for people. So those people that are close to you, your family, your relatives, um, that and your close friends that you hold in your heart that you um you have love and compassion for for people uh and you know that's something that uh we need to practice every day because uh sometimes that's part of the difficult um the difficulty here let me just start over there um so that's something we need to practice every day. And sometimes that's part of the, the difficulty is, you know, we don't want to have hatred inside of us for any, anyone. So um, we need to work on that love and compassion for, for people. And then the third one is Wowa uh, Unshila. Uh, and this one is similar to Wochanto Knake, but it's extended to all creation. So all life, um, the grasses outside your door, the, the trees, the birds, um, that we are in relationship with nature and everything that's supporting us and we're in this reciprocal relationship with. So uh, that is really, really important to remember. And, and that's part of why at the beginning of each meal, we say thank you to all of these elements. And we say thank you to the food that um, we are blessed to eat because it's important to remember to, to say thank you to, to all of these uh, life forms that we're in relationship with. Um, 
And then the fourth one is Wowawokie. Uh, and this one is, uh, so when you have that, you have that sacred silence and you have that deep love and care for not only the people that are in your life, but of all creation, that you use that feeling and you help those in need. So this uh, is, is really, you know, how Gilbert explained it is like, you need to make yourself useful. <laughs> you know, don't just sit around and wait for a Messiah to come along and fix things. It's like, it's up to you. It's up to each person to make themselves useful and, and do something like actually, you know, help people, help people in need, help elderly people, help the children. Um, you know, see who who needs that extra boost. Um, so it's not enough to just kind of say, oh, I'm really sorry for your situation or kind of grieve for your loss, but you got to actually take action and do something. Um, and this is also part of fulfilling a purpose in life. So fulfilling something that you feel strongly about in your heart. Um, the fifth principle is Woblihecha. Uh, and that's that feeling of being fully alive. It's sort of like, you know, when you jump in a body of cold water and your whole body is just tingling with aliveness. And it's just that feeling of being fully alive and in the moment, um, wobbly hecha. Uh, and then the sixth principle is wowiuski. Um, and that one is a joy of a child. So uh, you think about a toddler, like your daughter cruising around, like how she can just be so excited about something and curious and just, it just, that that childlike joy that uh, only comes about when you're just in the moment and immersed in your senses and curious about what is going on around you. So developing that wowiuski. And then the seventh is when it sort of all comes together. Um, we chose ani, which is is health is the state of health of mind, body, and spirit. So when I talk about health, it's sort of you know we need to look at developing not just our physical health but also our mental health and our spiritual health, um, which can you know bring in emotional health. And so that seventh sacred principle is sort of when you have that health of mind, body, and spirit uh, really aligned. So it's like these seven principles um, that were taught to my father Gilbert and were passed down to him from his grandparents um, is basically what, you know, what we're looking at achieving in, in life. Um, so so yeah, those that's what we say, and that's what when you joined us at the dinner table, um, that's what uh, that's what we said uh, before our meal. 
I'm I'm stunned um, by how deep that message is and just how it resonates and how it's all so succinct. Uh, it was beautiful. We um, we do um, gratitude before every meal too, where where we uh, thank every part of the meal, so from the meat to uh, where it came from and the cow that gave its life and, and the vegetables and the farmers um, who took care of the food and, and the origins and the water and, and um, all the natural elements. And then go into, <clears throat> uh, you can say a Reiki practice with putting, putting our hands over the food and maybe absorb and digest and um, and, and, and truly take in all the nutrients and may it may it flourish um, and and truly energize our bodies and heal our bodies and then we go into our, our daughter does uh, kind kind mm. thoughts kind heart kind or kind thoughts kind oh. words kind heart and then she does it in Swedish Swedish snälla tankar snälla and um, but this is way more connected yeah. than what you're doing. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, okay. I mean, any any sort <laughs> we, of ritual like that. I mean, that's so important. And and people need to just create their own. They don't need to, you know, something mm. that's close to their heart and they feel like because mm. the important part is that you, you feel connected with that, right? It's in your own mm. native mm. language and it's something that you're passing on to your daughter. And so that's something you know unique and special for for your family and so i think that's mm. you know that's really important that that it has that it has that connection and that meaning um for for you and you know anyone can uh you know basically you know just simple simple acts of of um thankfulness uh and then it sort of becomes their own ceremony which is which is great mm. Yeah. And, and I have, well, I have what you're showing. So Dawn again here. So I'm, I'm going to, now I know exactly, uh, yeah, I'm going to use, use the book and we're going to start reciting <laughs> that as well. <laughs> so, um, but it, it truly, what comes across when you're saying all of this is practical wisdom. And, uh, I've been going deep into Greek philosophy, uh, as of late. And that is one thing that they speak of. Um, especially stoicism is um, practical wisdom. It's one thing to know it theoretically, and it's one thing to know it in your mind. But it's the main thing is how do you put it into practice? Uh, actions speak louder than words, yeah, and, and that's saying, yeah. And, and I think you and your entire family. I mean, you practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're truly you're putting things into actions. You you speak to a very incredible message, but you truly put into work too. And um, it was one um, when we watched the um, the um, premiere of Kiss the Ground, which you and your family are an integral part of, uh, which can be found on Netflix. So in Kiss the Ground, there's regenerative farming. And um, there are a lot of, um, it's a concept that I didn't know of, and, and we'll go into this in a little bit. But I'd love to hear you speak about regenerative farming, what it actually is. Uh, to me, it was it was only clear what sustainability is, and that is a concept that a lot of people are aware of. And also, uh, for example, before a, for a few years ago, I wasn't completely sure what was the difference between natural, between uh, organic, grass-fed. It was all these labels, and I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I know, I think I eat healthy, and and that's that's enough. I have a good what I what I've seen on on the plate that 
that um, all the authorities are putting out while I'm following that. I, th I thought, no, I knew what healthy was, but going into regenerative farming and um, there are a lot of NGOs, so a lot of um, a lot of uh, foundations who support regenerative farmers. And uh, it was a it's such a clear statement that, that hit home. You said, well, I wish there was were more actual farmers and practitioners. There are more NGOs and more foundations supporting us than actually are farmers out there, and we need more farmers. And um, um, even speaking to Sue, who is an integral part of, of Market Guards and, and, and uh, the farm, she said, yeah, there's a lot of people who talk a lot and like to talk a lot and support, <laughs> and that's amazing, and a message needs to be spread, but we also need to put it into action. And, and that is one of the main things that I think needs to um, to come across more is that, yes, we need to unite um, around a message, but also how do we take action? And sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be early mornings. It's going to be cold days. It's going to be yeah doing the dirty work. And, um, yeah, you and your family truly do that. Um, so thank you for doing that. Thank you. Going into the well we can actually speak about regenerative farming and sustainability um and maybe by starting market guards is the name of your family well that is your last name but it's also the family farm what is it that you do do you mind going into that yeah yeah so market guard family grass-fed um we produce nutrient-dense meats through regenerative agriculture practices that uh build soil, sequester carbon, and create more life with every life that is taken. And that life is in the form of, of the biodiversity that we find on our um, ranch lands, including birds, plants, uh, soil microbes, um, uh, sort of all the way uh, into how how those animals are raised and the health of those animals is all um, uh, very intentional. And uh, so the result is really good grass-fed meats that's uh, animals that are uh, eating their natural diet. So the cattle and the sheep are, are only eating the, the forage and uh, pigs and chickens are, are, have, you know, access to good pasture their whole life. So it's not just, it's not just a dirt uh, area, but it's, uh, we move them every day and we put them on fresh pasture so that they can scratch around and eat bugs and uh so we uh so we sell um beef lamb pork and chicken at farmers markets in the bay area and through our online shop we don't ship um but if you're in the bay area you can you can get our meats and the first time we met and came across uh, the market guards was at a farmers market and we um, have our roots, so my wife and I, Sophia, in, you can say biohacking is really how do you up-level your performance and how do you become, how do you enhance your life in multiple different ways? And um, as so many people in the tech industry, they're trying to always get the next edge and um, more and more of it is coming back to just ancient practiced wisdom um, that the natives have, for example, or 
bringing it back to the very origins of what we used to do instead of just trying to make everything as fast as possible and um, uh, and to use any method possible to produce as much as possible that has consequences and we're now seeing that in our environment and uh, just across the board um, part of it is also with COVID with our mental health we, we we're not really sure what to do with a new life now that we're just bombarded uh, with, uh, yeah, you can say uh, notifications and, and, and a life of, you can say, internet uh, in a new way. Yeah. With, with the biohacking approach and with what you're doing, um, we, it really came down to you're local uh, and you have exceptional meat and exceptional practices and you take care of um, your animals in such a beautiful way for people who don't know the differences between what it is what is regenerative farming and what is um, pasture raised meat and grass-fed meat and what is what does um, the meat market look like right now and what what is it that makes it so special I know it makes us feel phenomenal and we can taste yeah. the difference right yeah um, yeah so uh, basically, uh, grass-fed grass-fed meats um, are um, so we're certified by the American Grass-Fed Association, and um, that's for ruminant animals. So animals um, that uh, only get their diet from you know grass and the forages in the pasture. So that means that they're never fed grains. So that can be for cattle or for sheep. Um, whereas chickens and pigs um, will uh, require some other protein in order to um, you know have have enough to to grow um, so 100% grass-fed meats is is um, you know applies to those ruminant animals and it's not being done um, at at a very large scale there's only about two percent of the uh, the cattle in the US are grass fed and grass finished. Um, it should be a hundred percent because I think like one thing that, um, you know, when we, when we really sort of look into our heart and, uh, you know, sort of feel the, the energetics of the food, um, we want to be producing and consuming food that's ethically raised and uh, and and you know not just clean and healthy, but also ethically that that animal did not have to suffer um, throughout their lives because then that then transfers into the meat. And if animals are finished in a feedlot in confinement, um, that you know those animals are suffering uh, because they're not being fed a natural diet. It's sort of like, how can you fatten an animal really fast to get it to the weight you need um, to be profitable? So that is really how that system was set up is, you know, purely based on, on profit and efficiency and not um, taking into consideration anything to do with the environment, anything to do with the health of the animals. So those animals, when they are in that setting, um, they are uh, incredibly unhealthy. Um, 
And because they're not being fed a natural diet, it's sort of like, you know, what happens if people sit on their couch all day long and eat potato chips, <laughs> you know, what, what would happen versus somebody that, you know, is eating really healthy, good organic foods and moving a lot and exercising. And uh, um, so that's sort of, that's sort of the difference there. And it's not being done at the scale that we really need it to be done right now with the, um, you know, just with the climate crisis we're facing, because a lot, when a lot of people look at um, the impact of cattle uh, on a landscape or, or in the environment, the data and um, the statistics they're looking at are based on those animals that were raised in a feedlot. They're not looking at all of the benefits that cattle have when they're raised out on grass. And so that's fairly new, a lot of this research and data, but it's really astounding some of the results that will come back from, say, our, our soil studies that we're actually drawing down massive amounts of carbon because we're moving the animals very intentionally um, mimicking the large herds of grazing animals that evolved with these grasslands, like the elk and like the antelope. Grasslands evolved with grazing livestock. So when you remove those grazing animals, then the plants actually suffer. And when the plants suffer, the soil suffers, and it actually releases carbon when it doesn't have that disturbance of that, that herd. I mean, it's it's you can sort of simplify it and say we're just mimicking nature and how nature functions and that is where we want to be heading because nature has these solutions um or you can sort of get down into the science of what's actually happening with the grass plant and the photosynthesis but essentially what we're doing is we're working on having more energy, more solar energy pulled down through photosynthesis down and through the roots of those plants to pull, pull that carbon down. What struck me when watching Kiss the Ground um, was specifically a farmer in, um, what was it, Wyoming? South Dakota? South Dakota could have been. Or yeah. North Dakota. North Dakota, yes. Yeah. And uh, he was at one point uh, doing mono agriculture, so, so just one uh, specific crop. And when you do that, you take away a lot of the biodiversity and he was using heavy pesticide, uh, herbicides, whatever it is to be as profitable as possible. Um, due to natural circumstances, hail um, and, and other reasons, he was suffering several years from not being able to and be profitable at all. He he was in debt and he needed to figure out a new way of doing it. Yeah. And what was so fascinating to me that I was not aware of before of how the biodiversity uh, that occurs when you introduce several different crops, but also introduce animals to the lands and how it all works in harmony and how a majority of all lands in the United States that are farmland is, is monocrop. It's, it's just one crop. And then um, 
the United States government is is supporting them with uh, additional money to produce this. It's a system that, that needs to be brought awareness to. But why I'm bringing this up is is what comes to mind for me, and I've heard before. How do you scale? How do you scale the grass-fed? How do you scale the organic? And uh, there is really a way. Um, and uh, do you mind speaking to that a bit? Yeah, I mean, there is a way, but it can't just be left up to the farmers to to do that because um, of the way industrial agriculture is so entrenched in our government policy and um, farmers have sort of become you know, not on, you know, we can't, we can't just say, oh, the farmers are bad. Like, I don't, I don't like to put that energy out. You know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, what that farmer is doing is bad for the land and it's killing the land. It's like, no, you, that's not coming from a place of understanding and compassion. They were put into this really horrible <laughs> sort of box of, and many of them were born into it. It was what their parents did and they don't see a way out of it. Um, and the risk is too big for farmers to make this transition. Um, they are entrenched in government subsidies. They're dependent on the chemical companies. Mm. Um, you know, I visited uh, some rural areas in, in Kansas just a few months ago. And, uh, you know, rural America is struggling. There was no kids playing outside. Um, the schools were sh shut down, businesses boarded up, and the only viable, um, you know, happening in the town was the grain mills where these farmers would come and drop their grain and right next door was where they would pick up their chemicals and that was the only business in operation in you know this one particular town i visited every other shop was boarded up there was no grocery stores there was you know no the schools were shut were sh you know there wasn't enough kids um so it's really really a dire situation and it's not gonna just take you know a group of farmers saying okay i'm gonna take the risk and not make any money for the first few years because i've you know for generations we've just cooked our soil and um and do this regenerative thing it's like no they need to feed their families <laughs> right they need to make their loan payments so it's gonna take large corporations, it's gonna take um, government funding, it's gonna take a huge effort to transition industrial farms to regenerative farms. Um, and you know, I'm working on that with a number of different groups. I wish it was going faster. I wish it wasn't just Zoom calls and meetings. Like I want to, I'm, I, you know, I want to have my boots on the ground. I, um, and and get out there into these communities and and really do the work. But um, it's gonna take, it's it's gonna take a lot, a lot more than than what we've we've been doing, um, to really scale uh, scale regenerative agriculture. And it's based on you know sort of generations and generations of. Uh, really abusing abusing the land. So my um, father's family, they're all farmers, and um, 
I can very much relate to what you're speaking of and, and the key word being compassion is they're all, all the farmers, the majority of them, they're just trying to do what is right for their family. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to get by. And, um, when you don't, when, when yeah, it's, it's usually seen as a big risk. And, and how do you make it work when you're, when everyone else around you and you've been taught that you can't make a profit doing organic farming or sustainable farming or even the word that some people even know don't even know regenerative farming yeah yeah so how do you yeah it's, it's getting awareness on a larger scale um and i know that is um we do we no longer it's no longer in operations that the, the family farm but that is adopted like everyone else on the island where i grew up gotland is um is pesticides but it's it's turning so in sweden it's it's less and less pesticides are being used and it's very much in the forefront they never really accepted antibiotics um for their uh for the the cows or any of the cattle in in sweden um so it's a very positive thing on that end when it comes to regenerative farming um we you spoke about it a little bit do, do you mind going into what is the difference between regenerative farming uh specifically and and regular farming or sustainability yeah so um you can have an organic carrot say and um yes that carrot was not grown with pesticides uh however that carrot could be grown in soil that is um devoid of life that do that doesn't have any life in it and um it could be part of the problem of soil erosion and um so it's not just it's not enough just to do organic uh we need to to then add regenerative practices on top of that those basic organic practices so that means that we need to implement practices that uh, help build healthy soils. So there's essentially, um, you know, a number of uh, practices that fall under regenerative agriculture. And, um, you know, one is minimal tillage or no tillage, like for, so that's great for grass fed animals, because we don't, we're not out there on a tractor tilling the soil. So it's sort of like, you know, in this country, we didn't, we didn't learn it during the Dust Bowl when, um, uh, you know, that led to the Great Depression. We're still tilling the soil. We're still using these large tractors and turning that soil, which it then blows away, it erodes, and it um, causes that, that exposure and releases carbon. It's like a huge carbon release. Um, when you till. So minimal tillage is one. You want to, um, you know, plant perennial plants or enhance those perennial plants. Uh, um, you want to have green living plants 365 days of the year. So um, that's where you're looking at diversity. So you don't just grow one plant that uh, you know stays green for a certain time of year. You grow multiple plants so that you always have that solar collection. You're, they're always photosynthesizing. 
Um, and then another principle is the biodiversity. So having uh, biodiversity above ground and below ground and that biodiversity above ground, having as many different plants um, on your land as possible, that means all the roots are going to be different and they're gonna be exchanging things differently. Um, aiming for healthy soils. So that's like your big indicator is, is healthy soils. Um, and then uh, the thing that I like to add is is movement. You know, we 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 move like regenerative agriculture. Um, as a rancher, uh, I move. I move my body, and then I move my animals. Um, they're never in one area too long, um, or else they'll overgraze the plants, and that's not healthy for the plants. Um, so we we move the animals, and then the the animals in turn move the plants and then the plants move the soil. And um, that is following how, um, you know, ecologically how nature functions. There's no intact ecological natural system that's devoid of animals, right? They, they all have animals integral to the system and they have predators and they have prey and they have insects and they have all of these interacting um, creatures that are sort of in a dance with each other. So the predators move the prey and then that in turn impacts how the plants grow because if there's no predators, the prey species are going to kind of loaf around in the riparian or the creek areas and they're going to graze all of those plants heavy and not graze like way up on the mountaintop. And so those plants down by the water will suffer. So then what happens is then all life suffers. So when the predators are moving those, those prey species, and they're not as comfortable, they're, you know, needing to be moved, then what you see is songbirds come back, beavers come back, like these keystone species that are really integral to the whole ecosystem, to the hydration, you know, to, to, to the ability of the water to um, uh, soak into the soil, the, uh, uh, for the minerals to function, um, for all, all life to, to really be healthy. So you're stepping into and speaking to an area that, uh, really shines through in your books. And, uh, that is the, um, love of nature and love of fauna, love of animals. And, um, you are an animal tracker, which I find is highly fascinating it's um truly tapping into um instinct intuition um it's also skill i was introduced to it um via a podcast more so in depth with a gentleman named boyd vardy he is a lion tracker he runs safaris in south africa and um, the magic that goes into it and the ability to connect with um it's more than just your natural senses it's also vibration and a deep knowing inside uh, and and connecting to nature that that gives you these clues and how we applied it to life of um 
one can say, uh, Rumi says, uh, listen to that voice that doesn't use words. And it's something I've been practicing more of. How do you not use your mind to reason and, and use logic to find all the next steps? But it's truly starting to listen to um, your own truth and, and things that do come up, like you were referencing, uh, uh, you reference your dreams at times. Um, you do it in a book and something comes up. Uh, do you mind speaking to how did you uh, come into that path and uh yeah what were the origins from that i know wilderness school was part of it yeah um well i think that uh a, a big piece of it is that uh tracking is looking at your potential and how we can immerse our senses and connect with nature and utilize parts of our brain that we typically don't utilize in a modern setting. So, I mean, there, there's tracking for like a, a practical sense when it comes to if you're, if you're hunting or if you're gathering data, which is mainly what I did was, um, you know, research of, of animals. Um, but then there's like the, development of the the whole human being like how we started out with the seven sacred attributes and tracking is an excellent pathway to get to um discovering those pathways within your brain and within your being of um of connection and so if you look at sort of the way uh if, if if you've ever spent time with indigenous trackers um then they it's like it's like they have this this heightened sense of awareness and mm -hmm. connection to not only their own bodies but everything around them and uh, they're able to pick up on very subtle cues um that you know, those of us who were raised in a modern setting, you know, very uh, dominant on our vision. And uh, especially now with all the screen time, it's like those parts of our being have not been developed in the way trackers have um, been, you know, indigenous trackers have been raised with that. So, you know, it's almost like when you're, when you're tracking with these, it's like, there's a sense of magic about it because they're, they're picking up on things and following things that you can't perceive. And so it's, um, yeah, it's almost like that they're, they're following these spirit trails or something as you're like, whoa, what, what are you looking at? How, how are you finding, um, the, the sign of, of this animal? Um, and so, so for me, a lot of what tracking was about was just sort of developing that sense of, of being a whole human being and uh, reaching my full potential of, um, you know, utilizing different, different parts of my brain and connecting to all of my senses and really tapping into that sixth sense. So when, when all those senses are engaged, it's, you know, you get this sort of intuition where you get like this gut feeling that the animals this way, or um, you need to go this direction. And so I think that, um, you know, that is what really hooked me on tracking was 
that ability to um, kind of tap into um, parts of myself that I, I hadn't tapped into, you know, in any in any other sort of training or um, or or way of of uh, kind of being in nature. This has come forth too in um, in the two books that you have. Do you mind speaking to what made you feel called to write these two books? I think you have an incredible dynamic as a family dynamic where you're very hands-on and you're very practical, especially your husband, Eric. And, and you are an incredible creative being as well. You have an incredible presence in society and a way to articulate yourself in words. Uh, and this has been now taken form in two books. Yeah. Do you mind speaking to how did that come about and what are they about? Yeah. So um, they actually came about because of tracking. Um, I was telling a tracking story. It's one that I wrote in the book about uh, tracking an alpha wolf. Uh, in in the middle of the wilderness in Idaho, and I was telling that story on a on a podcast, and uh, um, a publisher happened to be listening to the podcast, and that you know that really piqued her interest because, you know, the podcast was was supposed to be uh, it was you know on on farming and interviewing me on the ranch, but um, the person interviewing was really interested in, in some of my tracking uh, experiences. So then this publisher contacted me and said, you know, there's no book out there written by a woman um, who's actually sort of lived this way and then integrated those experiences that she had in nature with her current life or current career. So, um, so many parents uh, sort of question like how, you know, what is the best way to raise my kids? What should they have access to? Um, what kind of influences um, should they have? And I think that, um, you know, many are looking at these different nature programs and saying, you know, maybe the classroom setting isn't, isn't doing well for that whole development of that whole human being. Um, but then it's like you question like, oh, what, then what, how are they going to turn out? Like, am I really, you know, setting them up for the future? And um, so, you know, she was looking at it like, oh, well, this was someone who completely rebelled from the, the status quo and left school at a young age and just went full immersion into the wilderness. It's like 100% my education. Um, and she turned out okay. <laughs> um, so that's sort of how my first book came about. And, uh, you know, of course, I was, I had always sort of thought in my head, like you have these ideas like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book about how we ranch and, you know, regenerative mm -hmm. agriculture, and this is what you do. And, and then it's like, oh, well, no, that that book has kind of been written and I always get really bored and fall asleep when I read like how to books or technique books. It's mm. like, no, that's not who I am. Um, I like to learn in stories and I like to tell stories. And so, um, that began the, the year long process of going through my, 
my life and writing this this memoir through through stories and uh and then um it you know it's it sort of wraps up with being on the ranch and family and um, integrating that into regenerative agriculture but then uh it's it, it it goes a lot into my time when I was a teenager um, and sort of the, these rites of passage experiences. So um, uh, we looked at that and said, oh gosh, we could make this into a young adult book. And it was during the time of the, um, you know, when the youth activist movements, I mean, yes, that's something that I really want to, to give to this, this youth, this incredible youth climate activist movement um, is this book where they can read it and they can say, oh, I can look for solutions to the climate crisis in, by connecting with nature. And I don't need to be stuck in this sort of depression cycle of, you know, we, we, we sort of got thrown the, you know, the really, you know, a really crappy future here by our parents and grandparents generation and how they treated the earth and we're really stuck with it. And, you know, they can then have some hope and say, okay, there are solutions. And these are the kinds of things that, that we can learn from. And because that sort of was, you know, my gift to that, that climate movement was, you know, connect with yourself through connecting with nature and find that sort of inner peace and then come from that place of inner peace and 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 hit the streets and take action and you know create things and grow things and uh you know keep that movement going but center that um, and center yourself in that connection with nature mm -hmm. so the first book was dawn again for those yeah. who are listening and, and the second the book uh, is Wolf Wolf Girl. Yeah. Let's see if I have a copy somewhere around. I can grab one. Is there anything you'd like to add in addition to how Wolf Girl came about and why you felt like there needs to be a, a second book coming out? And is there another one maybe coming out as well? <laughs> um, not right now. I sort of, um, you know, this year, of course, like everybody is not not what any of us expected mm. so um but i do have i do have a lot of thoughts for my next book um and it's uh ruminating right now just trying to figure out um exactly which which direction i'm gonna take it so uh but but yeah with wolf girl um it was really just you know the opportunity to um, speak to the the youth that are right in the that sort of transition time in their life and discovering what their their path is. Hmm. There, um, there's an experience for every writer, uh, and especially you being so hands on usually mm -hmm. in your craft. What what was that experience like to write these two books and also? You uh, recorded uh, the audiobook for both too, right? Yeah. 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 What was that like? Um, well, the writing was a, a journey. It was, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was really intense. Um, and I'm glad that I 
gave myself one year to do it and set deadlines and didn't sort of keep it going because it was, it, you know, it was a tough year, um, uh, full of a lot of, uh, sort of internal growth and also kind of reliving, you know, the past and dredging things up and having to process through that and, um, kind of hold down the ranch business at the same time and be a mom. So um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a tough year, um, but really, really worth it. Um, Really rewarding. Uh, I, um, my creative time is early in the morning. So I wrote it from the hours of 4am to 7am in the morning. And um, so uh, from there, I went, uh, yeah, and then I would, you know, <laughs> go out and do chores and yeah. milk the cow mm-hmm. and <laughs> move the cows. Uh, so uh, that, you know, that worked, that worked for me to really have that time of quiet. It's like my, it's like the, that time where I feel like I'm really connecting with, with the spirit is that like pre-dawn time. Um and it was neat because I'd be, you know, I'd be writing a story about a coyote or something or something would come up and then I'd go out and do chores and I'd see a coyote. So, you know, things were happening while I was writing that um, just sort of said, okay, this, you're on, you're, you're, you're doing good, Donaga. You're, you're like on, you know, you're on to something because it feels like when you get into that creative space, then um, everything just kind of piles up on each other and you're in that that writer's mind and curious observing mind and it's like you're looking at things it's kind of like tracking you're looking at things differently and you know I would just like every single conversation I would have with someone it would you know it would either spark something or there would be like a certain phrase that I would say oh wait that would, you know, that, that would work really good here. Or, you know, just, just, you know, I would, I would listen to something or I would go for a walk and see something in nature. And um, it, it, it was really, it was really incredible. It was like this full year of kind of creative synchronicity where I felt like there was many different things speaking to me and, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how to describe it, but after I wrote, after I after I wrote my first book, I read two books that sort of uh, re- reaffirmed what I'm trying to explain. You know, and and they explain it a little mm. better. One is called uh, Bird by Bird. I think it's Anne Lamont, um, and that's and she's a writer, and it's a book about writing. And the next is um, Big Magic. Uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert. Those two books, I, you know, if, if anybody's, well, you, even if you're not interested in writing, even if you're just interested in creative anything or like trying to find creativity, mm. um, those two books are are really excellent. And it was like, I, when I read those, like, oh yeah, that was it. Ah, I had that <laughs> same experience. So, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. I've I've heard that and I'm experiencing that myself. Um, when you're 
in a creative process and and um, and you're putting forth something that you've experienced yourself and then all of a sudden you are reliving your past uh, and yeah it can be challenging yeah and uh, yeah it, it takes up a lot of energy but then you get in the zone and it's almost almost a yeah. mesmerizing zone when you're drawing all these things to you it is uh, a zone for sure yeah you can call it synchronicity and i completely relate to that four to seven four to seven um Right now, uh, it's my uh, time with, with Athena to sleep and also to be with her. That's our morning routine. And that's Sophia, so my wife, that's, that's her time. Yeah. And it's just, that's the way of family life sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, w with now that you're in a different stage, um, that you have two books, how, how do you feel? Do you, do you still connect back to that state or what is the state that you're in right now? What, with, with everything going on from, from COVID and, and a different reality, what is, what is the state that you're in right now? Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of, uh, my, my energy kind of matches the seasons. So, um, I think like, you know, there was a big shift for us and for our ranch, like just in the last few weeks, because we kind of came out of, um, you know, a really busy time. We went through an entire like solid month of dealing with the crisis of the wildfires. And that was, you know, exhausting, no sleep. And, you know, I, I just recently looked at a picture of myself right after that, that somebody took and I'm like, who is that? That's, that's not me. Because you could see like in my face, it almost looked like I had aged 10 years. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that was the fires that, you know, created that. And, um, so it's like, wow, that was, you know, that was intense. You know, that was our first experience as a family really living through crisis like that. Um, so, you know, the state I feel like right now is, you know, after it took, it took a while, you know, it took at least another month to kind of recover from that and be able to, you know, not wake up in the middle of the night with, with nightmares. Um, and now I'm just feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just really enjoying, I'm just really enjoying every moment. I'm enjoying, um, uh, just, just being out with the kids. I'm enjoying having the kids here and not taking them to school. Um, I'm just, you know, we, we're, our production side is slowing down. Um, we just took our last batch of chickens in. So it's not, there's not like this, go, go, go. We got to get all this stuff done. So it's more of like, okay, what, what can we really create? You know, how can we catch up on things? And um, it's, you know, I'm taking really long walks in the dark at night. So instead of uh, sitting in front of a computer screen typing at 4 a.m., you know, I'm usually out the door by 5 a.m. And I just take these really long walks in the dark, um, which, which is so good. It's like taking a long walk in the morning. Um, and instead of getting on the computer screen in the morning, it's like yeah. your whole day, you know, you're, you can just kind of anchor yourself to that long walk. Like, wow, you know, yeah, this more, you know, yeah, things are stressful during the day. I've got to get these things done. I've got to do this or that. But that walk this morning was just, 
you know, so amazing looking at the moon and the stars. And um, so, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. And that is um, what I told uh, a good friend of mine. I keep on telling him that um, nature is my church. Yeah. And um, it's it's such a yeah. I mean, it's connecting beyond words. Um, and just how every time I go out into nature, it just grounds me instantly, and I start realizing what is mine, what is not, um, and just come back to a, a place of calm and tranquility, and just knowing. Um, and peace and it's incredible and and as you speak that and that comes through you as you speak to it too um and i think that that it, it really shows in in everything that you put out there uh and how you're you're living your life as a tracker too and i think it, it it's a great depiction of what you were saying with with the family ranch and how you felt like okay well i should write a book about ranching or agriculture or regenerative farming but no you 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 follow that inner voice and that truth to you and two other books came out and um i think it's it's such a beautiful example how you mix the the practical side of, of truly um, speaking to truth but also acting on the truth uh, and the way you're bringing, I think that that is a key piece that we have spoken about and that I think is, is a good way of closing it, how you're bringing people together and how you bring in awareness. And it's it's not just um, for people, uh, for, for regular people and, and how to eat and how to consume and how to be in this world, but also to farmers uh, and also the... Uh, the battle that sometimes can be seen of vegans and vegetarians and people who eat meat. Uh, and so the, um, um, the kiss the ground movie documentary, I recommend it highly for anyone who hasn't seen it brings together that as a beautiful message. Um, cause the executive producer is a vegan or at least a vegetarian. And he started uh, cafe gratitude. And for those who don't know, is a very, popular uh, restaurant here in at least LA and in San Francisco. Um, so that is one way I know people can find you and, and more about what Market Guard is, but what are other ways that people can connect with you and the Market Guard? Yeah, yeah, through my books and through our website, um, markyguardfamily.com. Um, and if you sign up on our newsletter, then uh, you'll receive uh, any updates that we might have. And, and you know, usually um, in normal years where we have a lot of events like ranch days or farm dinners, um, but, you know, now it's more all announced, like if I have a virtual conference or, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, so something that's happening, you know, even, even globally. So I'd encourage you to just stay in touch through our main, uh, markyguardfamily.com website or Instagram, um, on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is just like my book, um, Dawn, D-A-W-N dot again. So, um, that's my, my Instagram, uh, or Facebook and, uh, yeah, just stay in touch, send me a message. And um, yeah, good luck with <laughs> finding your own magic. Thank you incredibly much, Doniga, for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Sebastian. It was fun. Doniga is just one inspiring human being. And if you read her book, you will learn even more about her journey. She has truly connected to the wilderness and nature so if we're into that 
if you're into animals, survival, nature, just helping this earth survive and thrive. And check out her book, Dawn Again. You can find all the links and check her out on social in the show notes. I am a better person to know Donica and her family and to have had her on this podcast. And I'm so happy to be able to share this with you. Thank you very much for listening today. And I wish you a blessed day. Much love.